0: That's BlueNile.com.
1: I couldn't wait until the start of a new football season. You think that's next September? Wrong. The Spring Leagues are cranking it up, man. The USFL starts Saturday in Birmingham. Actually, all the games are in Birmingham. (laughs) Um, But they got the opener on Saturday. Who are they playing, Steve Burstick? They're playing well, – The um, Bandits
2: play Sunday night. They're playing they play the Pittsburgh Sunday against Maulers, Pittsburgh Sunday, yes.
1: That's right. And when those two teams get together, throw out the records. Oh, well, they absolutely. have no records. But Todd Haley going to be the coach of the Bandits. First Bandits coach since Steve's – is that is it true? Is this the Bandits – they've not been back since they had the Steve Spurrier, right, the old USFL, correct? I was
2: not here for those days, but I believe you're correct.
1: I mean, there has not been – I know there's been a lot of spring leagues, but the USFL yes. itself in, in this – in this sort of uh, uh, branding has not re- has not returned until now, until until Saturday, mm-hmm. and of course bandits play on Sunday. Um, but there's some uh, there there's some other spring league news.
2: Well, yes, Dwayne Johnson and the XFL announced their coaches for next year.
1: How about that? Now we don't know the teams. In fact, we don't even know what teams are in the XFL yes. anymore.
2: Now, last we knew, there was a Tampa Bay Vipers in the
1: XFL. That's right. That's correct. The Vipers. Uh, we're among the teams now. get a load of these names because you're going to recognize more than a couple of them, but certainly locally, two former Buccaneers are head coaches in the XFL. Our very own Anthony Beck and Reggie Barlow, who was a running back kick returner for the, for the bucks. I think under John Gruden, I'm not sure. Some, yeah, I think it was under the, in that area, but who knows? Um, but AB going to coach, he's done some coaching, you know, um, He did some in another spring league, I think, as a a tight ends coach or or thereabouts. Uh, The other coaches in the XFL, Wade Phillips. Gosh, how old is he? He's got to be mid-70s, right? At least. Um, Terrell Buckley, T-Buck. T-Buck the other day had a thing on Twitter where he was signing a contract, and you're thinking, okay, you're too damn old to play. Um, And he goes, big thing's coming. Well, this is the big thing. Terrell Buckley is going to be a coach. Jim Haslett, former Saints coach. Mm -hmm. Um, Bob Stoops. I thought. Wait a minute. I thought Bob Stoops was the done deal at Florida State. Did I? Did I miss that one? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, he's coaching there, right? I mean, they just had their spring game. He was there, right? No? I thought he. No, No? wasn't him.
1: Well, somebody was pretty vociferous about it being Bob Stoops, but I guess that didn't happen.
2: Remember, he jumped in on the XFL before, or one of those, or the AAF. Or uh, there's been so many. They all run together.
1: Yeah. (laughs) They just they run together. Um, Heinz Ward. Former Pittsburgh Steelers.
2: Hey, part of the Bruce Arians coaching tree.
1: Bruce Arians coaching tree begins with Hines Ward uh, or continues with Hines Ward, the slot receiver uh, in that offense. And Rod Woodson, which is an interesting choice. Rod Woodson. So some really – got some, you know, Hall of ish type players and um, some local flavor as well with Barlow and Becht. I assume – and I haven't talked to Anthony, uh, and obviously they don't want this released yet because they would have told us but I got to believe, I got to believe that Anthony Beck is going to be local that he's going to coach the Tampa Bay Vipers well, if there is. Here's one. the
2: thing, we don't know any of the teams in the XFL. We don't know where they are. Yeah, that's right. And, and their website, their everything else, it's we we'll had the details coming later. And they mm-hmm. don't start till next next spring, 2023, so Right. But I have to assume they strategically timed this announcement.
1: <laughs> yeah, they did. Because the USFL is starting this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> don't forget about us. Can you smell what the rock is cooking, you know? But it's going to be on the pot for about a year um so yeah i I don't think spring leagues as they exist today uh are ever going to rival what they were back when the u s f l and i've told this story was the most the scariest thing that the n f l had faced since there was the a f l and the n f l and they merged right since the merger mm-hmm. um they Competed. They had a nice TV contract. I want to say it was with ABC. Don't quote me. Go read the book somewhere. Um, but they had a TV contract, national TV contract, which helped. Um, and in addition to some deep pocketed owners, uh, including, uh, I think, uh, John Bassett, who, you know, of the Carling label, Bassett's or whatever, you know, the beer conglomerate. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Of course, eventually Donald Trump got in and wanted to go down that road because it he wanted to move it to a to a fall league and all that, and it never ended up in leading to the demise. But um, those those teams, the viability of those teams was based on the fact that they were able to get and compete for the NFL with the NFL for actual stars out of college. I mean, you know, you had Herschel Walker, um, you know, you had Doug Flutie, uh, you had Joe Cribbs. Um, you had Steve young, right. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't like when you turn on the Birmingham stallions and Joe Cribbs is running the football or Jim Kelly, right. Mm-hmm. Um, from Miami, uh, eventually Doug Williams left Tampa Bay and went to the Oklahoma outlaws, got hurt, but he went there. Um, so it was a viable league because they had big time players and those are just, you know, some of the skill player stars. There were others too mm-hmm. on, on defense and, and whatnot. Um, and plus, the marketing in that league was phenomenal. I thought they did a better job. They they strategically targeted. If they did go head to head, sometimes with an NFL team, at least as far as you know the Tampa Bay team, the Bucks were bad. They were owned by Hugh Culverhouse, who wouldn't spend any money. They were poorly marketed, even though everybody loves the creamsicles. But they, you know, um, they just they took for granted that. They had the NFL team in town, and if you wanted to watch NFL football, you had to go watch their crappy product. And the Bandits came in with lively colors, you know, the, the great logo, um, great name, um, great marketing. They did a hell of a job of marketing that team. Didn't take much for people to get excited about them because they hated their NFL team. And they outdrew the Bucs. Um, you know, it was a spring league, but they were drawing 40-something thousand a night at the old Sombrero back in the day. And, um, and there was a Hollywood flavor to it, too. I've told this story. where um, The first game that they played was at the old Tampa Stadium, which was Houlihan's. And I went there with Dave Scheiber, who was our Bucks writer, essentially or our football writer, NFL writer. And I did the first game. And, you know, it was, you know, because it was the Bandits and because of his history at Florida State and whatnot, Burt Reynolds was part of this ownership group. He was part of the ownership group. Smokey and the Bandit, get it. Okay. And so out, off the elevator walks Bert Reynolds when he was when he was not too far removed from that movie. Lonnie Anderson, when she was a huge star, WKRP Cincinnati, that the comedy with that, and Charles Nelson Riley, who you saw on Secret Squares, it was an eclectic group for sure. Um, but that's who was at the first game. <laughs> it's so um it it caught on and they were good. And oh by the way, coaching the team was one Stephen Orr Spurrier. Never heard of him before. Uh and that was his first coaching gig. He was a young, obviously uh up and coming, you know, former Heisman Trophy winner and all of that, Florida's son. And and so and, and oh by the way, they were very successful and they you know, they played played what they called bandit ball. You know? Right, you know, toss them all around, little little bandit ball, you know. Used to be the runner, became the fun and gun in Florida, but it was a bandit ball before that. So Sprayer had him going, and uh, Eric. I remember Eric Trevilian was a the receiver. They called him ET because he, he kind of looked like him um, a little bit. And and so, yeah, it was it was cool, man. It was really cool, and and it was so competitive against the NFL team that, of course, the NFL filed a lawsuit. We know what happened to the league. Uh, actually, USFL won the lawsuit, but they were awarded all the one dollar, and they basically, you know went out of business cause they tried to take it into the fall. Um, but let me tell you, uh, that, that was a lot of fun. Now I don't think the USFL in it, this incarnation is going to be anything close to that. For one, they're not in the cities where they play at least this year. They're all, they're all based in Birmingham. So that makes them more financially viable cause they're not going to have the travel expense and the training facilities and all that stuff that they would have, have to, you know, have independently to try to survive. Um, so maybe that gets him through the first year, but Todd Haley is the coach of the bandits. Um, former longtime offensive coordinator, I guess he was with Pittsburgh, uh, Kansas city. I think he was a head coach for a while. Um, yeah, so it's going to be interesting. Uh, I'm anxious to see sort of what it looks like. I mean, but I think minor league football without the stars, right? People mm-hmm. like football. I like football. I might watch some football. Um, but if it's not a developmental league, and really that's what the colleges are, I I don't know that I don't know there's enough there for me to to want to click on out of aside from just morbid curiosity. Well, here's know?
2: the thing, and and you know, think back to the early '80s when the USFL was competing with the NFL. The NFL wasn't what it is today. The money wasn't where it is on any of the NBA league. So it, the cost for the USFL to come in and compete for players. Wasn't what it is today. Are you going to pay $50 million on a new spring league to get a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers or whoever the next, you know, ones coming out of college are? But two is, you know, these network, you know, I, I thought the XFL when it came back, what, two, three years ago, I thought there was some good things, but like they like take the Vipers, for instance, you had Mark Tressman is the coach. He's trying to run a pro style offense. There's not 32 quarterbacks in the NFL that can run a pro style offense good enough to make a team compete. What do you think you're getting in a spring league? You know, if you're going to try to mimic the NFL and run football exactly the same way, you're not going to succeed. You, it's gonna, it's it for it to succeed, it's got to be more entertaining. It's got to look more like what college football looks today, because there's not enough good enough quarterbacks that can drop back and throw the ball. You know, Quentin Flowers was on the roster at the at the Vipers, and he was never a quarterback. Now, was he a better quarterback than who they had? Maybe not, but he could run the ball as well as throw it, and it was more exciting if he was quarterbacking than trying to run the same offense Tom Brady does, but to run it so poorly. So it'll be it'll be interesting what the USFL and XFL and, and do. The USFL is owned by Fox Sports. It also has a partnership with NBC, so it'll be aired on both those networks. The XFL has got Dwayne Johnson and others investing in it. So it'll be interesting what they do, but as long as they don't mimic what the NFL is, then they may have a shot to succeed. But the other part is with Fox Sports owning it. The TV deals built in, you're not paying to be on television at that point. So it's the networks just selling it and it's creating programming for them, for FS1, for you know, NBC, for Fox, for USA network, wherever they want to air these games at. So it's creating programming in a time where they don't have as much sports programming. And so they can package it that way a little differently. So, I mean, the leagues can't succeed. It's never going to rival the NFL's numbers, talent, etc. Don't, don't measure it that way, but it can succeed financially and entertainment wise. If they do things differently and try things.
1: Yeah. And I think that you're right about the quarterbacks. I mean, and in, in, in fact, we're going to be writing about this, but I think one of the things that's interesting about the NFL right now, if you look at the draft that's coming up, there will be a number of quarterbacks as they always are overdrafted in the first round. But if you talk to coaches, um, at least this year and, and, you know, I mean, we can look at the AFC and there's been a lot of young quarterbacks that have come on over the last three, four five years. Uh, in particular, if you're talking about Josh Allen's or Patrick Mahomes, those kind of guys, but by the same token, um, what I'm hearing from the NFL is they're not getting the quarterbacks that you would expect them to get in terms of guys that are, you know, look like NFL quarterbacks. There's a lot of good athletes that run around and the NFL game is sort of mimicking college football more and more. You do see some spread option stuff. Uh, by the same token, nobody's making a living running the football like Lamar Jackson is um, when they need to. There's a few that can scramble they are mobile, but you guys still be able to win from the pocket and, I think that anything to help develop guys at that position, if it can become sort of a developmental league, but I'm with you. Like you can't compete with the NFL product. So you need you need to make it something that's entertaining. And and so they're kind of caught in the middle. Like you'd like to be a developmental league, but, yeah, really but that's, that's not entertaining. Is. You're not gonna get but the eyeballs or the ticket no, sales for that. No. And and so I think you're right. I think you have to just have dynamic athletes um or whoever you can attract at that league and just let them play uh let them play a style that maybe you don't see in the nfl uh you know and if guys are good enough the nfl is going to find them anyway but obviously they're not good enough now or they wouldn't be in these spring leagues so um there have been a few guys you know that have gone on to the nfl from these recent attempts at the aaf and so forth uh, but not many and the quarterback position but there one of these leagues and i should know this but one of these leagues might be helpful in sort of where they can help the NFL and doesn't help their league per se. Is hey, let's try a different overtime format. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's try eliminating kickoffs. Hey, let's try, you know, different things. Um, the technology of what a first down is. I mean, it's still to me unbelievable that with the technology that exists today, we can watch Wimbledon be decided by Cyclops and literally a thread of a tennis ball between the line and the court can determine whether somebody wins a major tournament in tennis, but we need two old guys in a chain to be (laughs) stretched out across the field to know whether they made a damn first down. Are you kidding me? Let's put the chip in the football and let's try this. And I think that's, there's going to be a real usefulness to the, to these spring leagues and to these alternative leagues uh, where the NFL can can look at some rules changes,
2: and the NFL has partnered with these leagues for some of this stuff, and they they, right. they do want to use this as a trial ground and experiment, much like Major League Baseball is starting to use minor leagues that way a lot more to try things and right, you know, to see to see what works, what doesn't, where the kinks are, etc. So,
1: yeah. Well, we we also had some NFL news. Derek Carr agreeing to a contract extension, three years, one hundred and twenty-one million dollars. That's like forty point five million dollars or so. Maybe um, It was one one hundred twenty-one and a half million. It was. Um, and so, uh, I've always thought I've always thought a lot of Derek Carr. I think that that there's a potential now uh, with Josh McDaniels that they they could take that next step especially as an offense that the pieces they've added of course Adams from Green Bay and others um the hard
2: part is that division
1: it's such a tough division yeah Mahomes, I mean how about
2: Herbert and Wilson. Yeah.
1: what what if you're the worst quarterback in a division and you've just gotten paid forty and a half million dollars and you're the worst of it right like it's there's a potential that Derek Carr is the lousiest quarterback in the AFC West which is just tells you everything you need to know about the division um but this is a, this is a good move uh, for the Raiders. What's interesting is that you know these contracts now, and I don't know that this one is fully guaranteed. Although I imagine a large part of it is. Um, but I think what you're going to see since Deshaun Watson, first of all, that you know the, whoever does the next deal, right, always usually makes the most money. But guaranteeing Deshaun Watson what they did is going to change the the the. Uh, trajectory of of quarterback contracts from here going forward and it's going to really affect teams um, because you have a hard salary cap and it's difficult when you reach a quarterback gets to the level um you know for that second deal or even third deal if you're Aaron Rodgers and we've seen it in Green Bay you know to to maintain the best team around him and that's the one thing I think people I don't think they don't appreciate it because they hear it all the time that, that you know Brady taking, 25 27 28 million dollars whatever he's going to end up getting paid this year um just enables them to bring back some of the 22 free agents or whatever they had uh more than 20 free agents uh guys like ryan jensen and you can you know sign chris godwin to a long-term deal and you bring back leonard fournette and all these guys one they want to play with brady but two he's not tying up 45 million dollars this year and I don't begrudge guys getting paid, but I think it it continues to be an underappreciated. I mean, it's been talked about a lot, but but still you're seeing it actually happen that the Bucks are able to sort of rebuild and, and retain a lot of their talent because their guy isn't getting paid as much as, say, Derek Carr.
2: Well, the difference used to be, you know, it was 25 compared to 28-29 for the best quarterbacks. Right, right, right. And then it started creeping up 35 and 40, and now you're getting mm-hmm. into, you know, what Mahomes is close to 50, if not 50. Correct. You know, where now all of a sudden Brady's taking half what he is. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. $25 million is Tyreek Hill or several receivers How about if that? you don't go that high. I mean, yeah. Debo Samuel is looking for a $25 million deal now.
1: That's right. And maybe trade right. from the
2: Niners because of that.
1: Incredible yeah and, and if you're if you've got two of those receivers or even one and a quarterback, then how are you going to field the defense you know how are you gonna um build an offensive line and a left tackle and so the economics is 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 of course they're making more money all the time the salary cap goes up every year it is an accounting principle it's not um something that you can't push money down the road but sooner or later the bill comes due, but if you've got that window and you've got the quarterback, you have to retain him. And, um, there, you know, there was a time when people thought that Derek Carr might be available in a trade. You know, well, that was never going to happen or Josh McDaniels wouldn't have taken the job in Las Vegas. So um, I think he's a really good quarterback. I, I, I'm anxious to see what he can do. Uh, but you're right, in that division, boys, it's, it's going to be really, really tough. So we've got uh, plenty of mailback questions. We won't get to all of them today. We'll save some for tomorrow on the Rays and the Lightning um, since we're kind of hitting on the NFL and pro football theme we'll kind of we'll kind of attack those first and then we'll we'll pick up more tomorrow
2: All right, Priya tweeted us. He said, "Rick, do you think the Bucks will be making any big all-in acquisitions? It seems the Rams have been reloading nonstop with Allen uh Bobby Wagner, etc. Rumors are now linking them to uh, Tyron Matthew and Stephon Gilmore. Why are the Bucks being so conservative?"
1: Well, I, w- I would disagree that they're being conservative. I mean, I think, I think in some ways. Um, You know, they they overpaid for some players or at least were were the most competitive offer, whether you're talking about Ryan Jensen. Um, They gave Chris Godwin an awful lot of money for a guy with a torn ACL that doesn't know to this day when he's going to be available to be um, back on the playing field again. Uh, You know, did they do a lot outside of their own guys? I mean, you know, you have Russell Gage, who I think is a really good pickup. It's going to be very functional in in, in uh, this offense with Byron Leftwich uh, at at a receiver because that's where you sustain some injuries and you don't want to be in a position of having to pull guys off the practice squad every week. Um, you know, I like what they did with Logan Ryan. Uh, they added some veteran to replace Jordan Whitehead at the safety position. Ken O'Neill I think is a good pickup. Um, you know, so they they've done things to to keep their team not just competitive in the NFC South but also um, you know, as an NFC team. Cause I, again, most of your, I think most of your really better teams in the NFL, but just ranking one through 32 are going to be in the AFC this year. Um, so having said all that, I would agree that as we approach the trade deadline this year, um, or as they sustain injuries, and I'm not talking about Antonio Brown. Cause I think, I think that ship has sailed. Although it'd be interesting if bull says, Hey, that was Arians. I love Antonio Brown. I'll bring him back. Um, I think one of the things Brady made a point of last year of saying during his, you know, uh, farewell speech, if you will, or maybe it was just before it, after the Rams won the Super Bowl, was, hey, you got to give them credit. The Rams, man, they went for it, okay? We know they made the trade for Matthew Stafford, but they also got Von Miller, and they gave up a lot to rent a player who is now in Buffalo, Right? Um, they gave up I think a two and a four or two and a five, something like that, so more draft capital, and they have nothing to show for it this year, nothing, but you know what they had to show for it? Nine hits against Tom Brady in a game that they had to win on the road um, at Raymond James to get to the NFC championship game in their home in their home ballpark, and then of course, you know they won the Super Bowl. Um, the same was true with Odell Beckham, Jr. you know at a time when Antonio Brown was not out. I mean, he was out because of injuries, but he wasn't totally out uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the the stunt that he pulled after one game when he came back. But I can, you know, distinctly remember, uh, you know, we're sitting there and we're talking about receivers and they're they're getting the Brashard Perrymans and um, Sawa Grayson's off the practice squad uh, and guys like that. And Odell Beckham Jr. is available. I mean, he's available. And he's available. He, he is cut. I mean, he's a free agent. There's no draft compensation whatsoever. And because the season's more than half over, it's going to take you about $450,000 to sign him. And we asked Bruce Arians, hey, what about Odell Beckham Jr.? Oh, uh, A, B, uh, OBJ, had too many initials, right? And, and I'm telling you, and up until the point where he tore his knee up in the Super Bowl, he was headed to an MVP performance in that game alone. And he had helped them win some other big games down the stretch, including the one in Tampa. So, I think if they get to that position again, um, and maybe even before the start of the season, because there's going to be another wave of free agency after the draft. You know, you, you you kind of everything is kind of on hold right now, right? You still got guys like Indominus Sue out there, and Jason Pierre-Paul. We'll see. I don't think I don't think Pierre-Paul for sure is not coming back here. Uh, we'll see about Sue. But there will be another wave of free agency as teams draft uh, players and, and start cutting loose of some veterans. Yeah, Tyron, Tyron Matthews out there, I think they've addressed the safety position rather than pay Matthew, who's going to ask for excess of, I'm sure, 10 or $12 million. Um, there might be some other players that suddenly become available. I mean, hell, and I'm not saying they're going to do this, but the San Francisco 49ers – have opened the door to maybe consider offers for Debo Samuel. They're arguably him and George Kittle are their entire team, right? So anything is possible. And I would say that with Bruce Arians with nothing to do but, you know, play fantasy football in the front office with Jason Light this year, I got to believe that that they will do more than they did a year ago. You know, the year before they were that team, right, getting – Antonio Brown being bold, um, you know, making those kinds of moves. And last year it was the Rams and in each instance, those teams won the Super Bowl, and they won because of some of the additions they made. So I would agree with you. It hasn't happened. It's not what are they doing? I think they've done a lot. I mean, it's hard to retain guys like Leonard Fournette, you know, what would they have done at running back? You know, this is the other thing. There's not a ton of running backs out there. You can get to about five and you go, I don't like any of them in the NFL. Really. They're not that special. Right. Once you get past King Henry and Dalvin Cook and a few guys, um, who are you paying? Uh, and, and the Bucks needed running backs, and they, they paid a, a, a fair wage to Leonard Fournette to get him back. But I, I, I don't think they're done, and I think that especially if we get into the season and we get close to the trade deadline in October, I think they're going to go for it more than they did a year ago. That's just my opinion.
2: Right. Alex had tweeted. It kind of follows up, and you've hit a little bit of it, but he says, of all the outside free agents remaining, which ones make the most sense for the Buccaneers?
1: I don't have my list in front of me. I, I think that they're going to pump the brakes uh, on the deep, on the uh, safety position. As I mentioned, Logan Ryan, Cam O'Neill. It seems like they're pretty good. They still have Mike Edwards. Obviously, they got Antoine Winfield Jr. Um, boy, I'd have to look at. I'd have to look at the list. I mean, maybe Soon, a tight end. Maybe it, Yeah, I if mean, Gronkowski doesn't come back. We got to see the the, the the interesting thing about that list. If you look at who's available. A bunch of them are bucks, right? Gronk is available. He says he's only going to play here if he plays. Uh, JPP, we don't know what his shoulder situation is. We assume he's going to play, but no one's really taken a stab at him yet. And Damakon Su is their free agent. So the top guys on those lists right now are kind of Buccaneers outside of Matthew um, and then the, the corner Gilmore from Carolina. And I don't see them getting a corner at this point. Um I suppose it's possible, but you're you're sort of counting I mean you know last year, of course they got Sean Murphy Bunting hurt in the first week and they ended up with Richard Sherman sort of off the couch and he's going to be a broadcaster this year, I believe, so you could you could look at the cornerback position, but they're not counting on having that many injuries. you never do if one were there to be one come available that interested them, there wasn't going to be a ton of money again, Gilmore is the name that's still out there I, I don't see that happening or it would have happened part of it too like I said, is the draft. You know, very likely any of those positions could be a first-round pick, including corner. We've talked about this, how, you know, Murphy Bunting um, and Dean, Jamal Dean, are going to be free agents next year. Well, you might not be able to sign them both. So do you draft a corner this year? And they've had some in. They've had some guys that could go in the first round uh, as part of their 30 visits. So anything is possible. And I think you kind of have to wait and and that's where we are. I don't see many free agent signings before the draft. We're about fourteen days away, or are fourteen days away um, right now. Teams are focused on on the college selection, and you know if they get a certain position or they don't get another position, and they feel like they need more, then they'll go back into free agency. But um, I, I think they I think they feel confident about what they have. Again, you have to keep these guys healthy. And and last year there was just a rash of injuries at the same position all season long. So, you know, you gotta have a good practice squad. You've got to have some veterans that can come in and play. I think they found some guys a year ago. Um, and you know that the, the plan is to go with what they got. They spent a lot of money on Carlton Davis. He's gotta stay healthy. He can't he can't miss four or five games this year. You know, you, you need those guys every week.
2: All right, Greg, it's should Tom Brady be called the magician instead of the goat? How was he able to get many of the bucks free agents to return on three year deals? When he may only play for one more, the conspiracy theorist in me thinks that an extension for Tom Brady could happen still happen with voidable years. Your thoughts?:
1: Well, he's already got some voidable years, but I, I uh, you know those are the reason they're voidable is that they drop off. Um, the money remains, and so it's not like a year ago when he signed an actual extension and added a year to his contract. And that's why he's still here today. Or he would have been a free agent, and maybe he plays someplace else. There's a lot of conspiracy theories out there. A lot of stories by Mike Florio and, and others, Ben Bolin, of uh, the Boston Globe, that say he was, you know, he was looking, he was looking to move on. Um, I I'm pretty sure and fairly confident in the discussions I've had that Tom Brady won't be adding a year to his contract. That at best, if he does play after this year, he'll be a free agent and he will pick the team that he will go to. Doesn't mean that he wouldn't come back here. Uh, certainly he had very limited choices if the Bucks were going to enforce what Bruce Arian said, which was five number one picks, uh, or we don't plan on training his rights, it's bad business. I don't think Tom had a problem coming back. I, he knows these, this team. He knows the talent on this team. They won a Super Bowl. They won 29 games the last two years. But all bets are off after after this year. How he got guys back is easy. He picked up the phone. Um, and you know, some of these guys were gonna have offers or did have offers from other teams, and you have to be competitive. They were gonna be for multiple years. I mean Ryan Jensen's like thirty one years old, so I mean I don't know who's gonna sign him to a five year deal. Um what we're seeing is a lot more three year deals in the league and two year deals because guys want to get the free agency again. You know, the salary caps moving up um, you know, you saw a two year deal with Levante Davis, especially with older players.
2: Seems like so more of the money is guaranteed in these deals too. They're yeah, short, they're, they're shorter yeah, but more guarantees. They're guaranteed shorter deals. but
1: a lot more guarantees. And so yeah, it's really and, and really it doesn't matter. The length of the contract helps the team, it doesn't help the player. It helps the team spread out the salary cap implications, but the player himself, I always say this, okay, you know, you say, Oh, he signed a you know, a a four year hundred million dollar contract, that's twenty five million dollar a year. Okay. Sure. Cool. Um, what did they guarantee? They guaranteed $30 million. Okay. You know what he's worth? $15 million for two years. You know, that's the only way I look at it. Like he's making $15 million a year this year, 15 million next year, because they're guaranteeing 30 million of the hundred million dollar deal. None of that other stuff matters. You know, it's just, it's, if it's not guaranteed, it doesn't matter to the player. So you can add as many years as you want, lowers his cap value. 'Cause it spreads out his signing bonus and, and you know, you can do some things with a base salary and whatnot. Have a minimum salary it was at one point one two million or something like that for a vested veteran. But for the player, all that matters is what's guaranteed. And I think you're right, Steve, you're seeing a lot more contracts with a lot more guaranteed money in a shorter term, and then they'll they'll roll the dice and, and bet on themselves and be free agents in two or three years.
2: All right. Narendra tweeted, and I'm gonna to try to get through this. If it is to be believed that Tom Brady ordered Bruce Arians firing, he must have Jason Light on his side. He has to ensure that Arians or someone else doesn't leak this. His coaches would let this happen, and B.A. will cooperate and, and be a psycho to go to a ceremony. So being 100% honest, how much is this probability that this is true?
1: Well, we we've, we've talked about this about whether Tom Brady ordered the code red or not. Um I don't believe he did and and I've seen people now saying that buying into the fact that since Brady was at the press conference that he is a sociopath that not only did he get got fired, but he went there to to watch his execution. Um and I don't I don't believe that of Brady. I, there's nothing in Brady's background that would tell you that he would be so out front and so cunning that he would ask for a guy's job that way and then sit there at his retirement party um, and smile. You know, I, I I don't want to believe that, and I'm not going to believe that. What I've been told is more likely that, you know, Brady would have said some things with respect to, hey, I really think we should do this, this, and this on offense, and B.A. might say, I'm never doing that. You know, that's not my offense. I don't believe in that fundamentally. And that maybe you'd have some head-butting that way, and at some point the organization would get to the point where they'd go, look, um, maybe now is a good time to make the change. My personal belief, and I don't have anything to base this on, my personal belief is that, that there's several factors in this, and I think, I think BA kind of addressed every one of them. One of them is health. I don't care what you say. He's going to be 70 years old October 3rd. Um, he says he feels good now. Okay. And he wants to stay that way. And I've seen what toll it has taken on him every year. I mean, the man is in a golf cart. Okay. For a reason, he can't stand very long, his back, his legs, everything kind of hurts him. He lost 50 pounds. So that should have helped him, right? You, I mean, you take 50 pounds off your body, you should feel pretty good. And, and in doing so, unfortunately, he wrote, wrote or ran on that underwater treadmill so much. He tore his Achilles. He didn't require surgery, but that thing is not, it's still barking at him. And how do I know? Well, he's still riding golf carts through the convention center as recently as last month. Um, and he says he's played golf a few times, but he sucked at it. So while he feels good now and he wants to stay that way, he knows personally what it takes for him, uh, to get through an NFL season. Doesn't mean he wasn't willing to do it. And if you were willing to do it, why wouldn't you do it with Tom Brady? Why wouldn't you do it with a chance to win a second Super Bowl? When are you going to get this opportunity at any age? So there's that, uh, the Brady thing, listen, Brady has a lot of ears over there, okay? A, a, a lot of people will listen to Tom Brady, and why not? Um, including Bruce Arians. But I know he has the owner's ears because they have bent over backwards and created space for him. You know, here's an example. For exa- Like, okay, you take Alex Guerrero. And you say, well, that's not a big deal, right? Well, they didn't let Alex Guerrero after a while in the building or on the plane or anywhere else in New England. Brady comes down here. Guerrero is part of the staff, right? Even though he's got his own business, tv 12 which, oh, by the way, is a half mile away from the facility where players go after work to get treatment in addition to what Bobby Slater and those guys do for them. They have their own little cordoned off area within the facility where where from what I understand, where Guerrero will work with Gronk and A.B. when he was here and Brady, separate from all the other spaces over there, right? just for those guys. Um, so my point is, he's got the Glazers ears, who have said no to nothing that Tom Brady has asked for, as far as I know. Maybe there was something, but basically... Tom Brady gets what Tom Brady wants and the Glazers, he's effusive in his praise of the Glazers. Everybody is that's in the Brady camp. So Brady also has a huge ally in Jason Light. You know, Tom Brady comes here and Jason Light suddenly is wearing coaching gear and standing on the sideline with Mike Greenberg. Like what, what GM does that? Right. Why is he down there? And first of all, B.A.'s comfortable enough with Jason to allow him to do it, which is remarkable to me because usually there's a little bit of a separation of church and state here. One's the front office. I I get the players. You coach them. Uh, Jason's not doing any coaching down there, but Brady and Jason are tight. Not that Brady's going up to Jason during a game, but I just feel like everything is different. Jason talks about his relationship with Brady and how close it is. It goes back to when Jason was there when they brought him in as as a draft pick in 2000. Not that they were interacting every day. They weren't. Um, but there is a history there, and Jason talks often about how close he is with Tom. At the end of every season, there's discussions about the future, right? There would have been one last year uh, after they lost to the Rams. There would have been one the year before after they won the Super Bowl. What are we doing? How do you feel, coach? You want to coach another year? What about Todd Bowles? What about Byron Leftwich? Well, these guys are probably, they went in the offseason thinking one or both, probably both were going to get head coaching jobs. Byron for sure. They thought Byron had the Jacksonville job. I talked to the Bucs about that and others. And Byron, he was never really offered the job, but he also didn't like the setup over there with Trent Baalke and others. He ends up staying. Then Bowles ends up staying. And Bowles was up for like three different jobs. And so that now changes sort of like, okay, so we got everybody back, including Bruce Arians, who's, who's probably only going to coach one more year. But next year, they're going to come try to pick off our staff and, 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 you know, blow it up. And if Bruce isn't going to go beyond this year, the discussions with the Glazers would have been with Jason Light before they talked to Bruce. They would have been, Jason, what do you – you know, you know Bruce, what do you think his ultimate goal is here? What what is it? You know, we have two really good coaches on the staff. We have Byron Left, which we have top bulls, and clearly they could be the future of our team. Everybody's assumed rightfully that one of them was gonna inherit this this team from Bruce Arians. So the Glazers would have asked, Brady may have pushed a little bit, like when when are we doing this? Because if we don't do it this year, the, surely if we have another great year with Tom Brady, those guys are going to get hired somewhere else. So what is the succession plan? The other part of it is what does Bruce Arians want to do? And I mentioned what it took for him to coach. Bruce Arians, when he left Arizona, he was he had physical problems, three-time cancer survivor, uh, had had all kinds of issues going on. And, and his health, as much as anything, Christine, his wife, said, you can't do this anymore. It's killing you. He was staying up at night doing scripts, you know, out till 1 o'clock in the morning, whatever, okay? So he wanted to leave his job to one of his staff members. Todd Bowles was on that staff at that point. Um, The difference is the Cardinals didn't give him an opportunity. You know, Bill Bedwell said, thanks very much. We're moving on. Um, And he couldn't do it. He couldn't keep that staff together. Then he brought them to Tampa. Now they're all together. Now am I going to let them split up again or Mm – or what do I want? You know what I want? I want a job where I can have influence on the organization, where I can come to work every day. I can still ride my golf cart and, you know, chew, chew players' butts at practice and hug them up later. And I can also sit in the front office and evaluate players and help help there. I'll just kind of help out where I I'll fit in where I can get in or get in where I can fit in. And I'll still be able to see the guys every day I'll still be able to have. That's what that's what coaches and them miss. They miss the interaction. They miss getting up and going to work. They don't miss staying up till one o'clock in the morning and getting up at four or five. They don't miss the grind of a net. What is now an eighteen game, you know, seventeen game regular season, and and you know maybe four postseason games. It's not that. It's the interaction with other coaches, with their dudes, with the with the players. And Bruce can still have that and get paid, and get paid, to do it. So he moved that direction, I think, more quickly, and maybe he got nudged a bit. Maybe. Um, maybe it all kind of just kind of worked out. But these are all discussions that we will never be privy to because it's a chicken and the egg thing. Did Bruce go to them and say, you know, since we got Tommy back, this was the story they told, We should just go ahead and make this change now because if Tommy hadn't come back and we we lost all these free agents, we were going to win five or six games, and I was not going to hand that team over to Todd Bowles and say, hey, go get him, Tiger. You got Kyle Trask and Blaine Gabbert, and they were going to lose a ton of games. And, And then so maybe Bowles gets one more season and he's fired. So I think there's some truth to that. I think there's some truth to him and people are like, is, is he that benevolent? Like, is he that much of a saint that he would just hand over a potential Super Bowl team, maybe cost himself the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Yes. That's who he is. Look at his record. Minorities um, as coordinators, uh, promoting head coaches, females on his staff. He's progressive. He's inclusive. That's his legacy. In his mind, whether he gets a plaque in Canton or a bust in Canton or not, it doesn't matter to him. He, he knows what his legacy is. And he was able to further that by doing what he did. It's also what Tony Dungy did in Indianapolis with Jim Caldwell. It's been done before. Uh, and Tony wasn't nearly the age, still isn't the age, that Bruce Arians is, much less when he, when he let go back in the day. So I, I, think, I think there's a little bit of truth to all of this. But I don't believe there was a code red moment. I don't believe there was an ultimatum. I'm not playing for them if that guy's coaching. I don't think that happened. I think it all just was a kind of a convergence. Like, you know what? Hey, you know what? I, now that you mentioned it, I've been thinking about this. You know what? For succession, that now is probably the right time to do this. Well, we still have a good team, and, and uh, we can keep all these guys together because if I coach another season, we win or lose, they're going to come pick off all our staff, and they're all gone. They're all gone. And Bruce sees himself as responsible not just for Bowles' family or Leftwich's family, but for 28 other families on that staff. So I, I, I just think we'll get into Brady one other day, but I just think that with respect to Bowles and, and Arians and Brady and Light and the Glazers, especially the Glazers, the Glazers would want to know. And it's not a one-time discussion. It's probably been being talked about for the last three years at least about how this was going to occur. And this seemed to be the best time to do it.
2: We'll end on this one. Ellis had tweeted, which of the recently added free agents, Shaq Mason, Keanu Neal, or Logan Ryan, will have the greatest impact on the upcoming Bucs season?
1: Well, I think, I think it's Shaq Mason because, I, 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 in fact, I know he's going to be counted on to play every game. Um, I don't know what roles Keanu Neal and Logan Ryan are going to ascend to in this defense. They'll have their niche. But it'll, it'll be a niche at start, to start with because I think that you have, you know, obviously Antoine Winfield Jr. is one of the two safeties, okay? Um, they do play some three safety situations, but you've also got Mike Edwards who's kind of a ball hawk back there and can play free. So at times you're going to need a guy to come down and play in the box, and that's, that's Neil. At times you're going to need a guy who's versatile to play in the slot, and that's Logan Ryan, um, or play outside. So you need depth at the safety position. You can play three at times. But the one thing we know about Shaq May is that he's going to play every game. He's going to play every game, and he's a large athletic man, not the tallest guy in the world, um, which, was, which was funny because his, his name is Shaquille Olajuwon Mason. So he's named after two center fielders, or center, center fielders, seven footers. Shaquille O'Neal, obviously, and, and uh, Akeem Olajuwon. But the knock on him was that he was too short. Because <laughs> he's only six two, coming out of uh, coming out of college, but Shaq Mason is a he is a uh, road grader. I mean, he is a guy that that can help them in the run game. Played really well uh, for the Patriots. Tommy Tom Brady is very comfortable with him. Obviously, um, sure he was responsible for you know for letting the Bucks know that uh, if he were available from the Patriots, they should go do this. So of those three, it doesn't mean those other guys won't make big splash plays that change the season, but. I think when you're relying on a guy having lost Ali Marpet, having lost Alex Kappa, uh, we don't know what's going to happen with the other guard position. You need Shaq Mason to play and play well and play every day uh, and protect, protect, protect the franchise. So I'm going to go with Shaq Mason out of that group. All right, that's all the time we have for today. We'll get to more of your questions on the Rays and the Tampa Bay Lightning. I will be at Tropicana Field covering the Rays if you want to see uh, some, some uh, baseball acumen that I will be displaying tomorrow hopefully I don't blow the whole thing up but they finish their series against the Oakland A's and then the Lightning have a chance to clinch again uh, against Anaheim tonight at home at Emily Arena so look forward to that more of your mailbag questions tomorrow thanks for the ones we were able to get to today for Steve Versnick, i Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times have a great day everybody